So there's really no, there's no real rocket science here. A lot of this was uh, basic blocking and tackling, which sounds really uh, easy, but for me, it was not easy at all. <laughs> you know why? Because I'm a visionary founder who likes to sell things. I'm not someone who likes to have a meeting every morning, every single morning at 8.30 for half an hour with my team saying, what's going on here with this account, this account, this account? Why don't these guys have integrations yet? Who's stopping it? And I had to learn a lot of those skills, uh, which I did by, by speaking to a number of great operational leaders, uh, probably one or two that I met at your conference. Welcome to the SaaS Revolution Show, a podcast that brings you insights and tactics from the greatest SaaS minds across the world. The show is brought to you by SaaStock, the conference to turn your SaaS up to 11, returning to Dublin in October 15th to the 17th, 2018. On this week's episode of the SaaS Revolution Show, I'm super excited to bring you my incredibly honest and insightful conversation with Mark Organ, CEO and founder of advocacy marketing company, Influitive. After he left Eloqua and before starting Influitive, Mark Organ really tried hard not to go back to SaaS. The experience of seeing Eloqua, the company that he built with his two hands, get acquired without him as the CEO had been too painful. He didn't want to inflict that sort of pain on himself once again. So Mark had a few jobs, none of them lasting for long. He did a bit of consulting, a bit of investing, he joined a few boards. He even tried living in Asia for a while. None of that made Mark happy or content. He did, however, come out of the experience with a clearer understanding of himself. You know, out of all of that, I said, you know, I'm just, I'm a founder. It's who, it's who I am. Um, I love building companies. I love building careers. Uh, I love putting my stamp on the world and seeing the world change because of, you know, because of the ideas that, that, um, that I have. And, but this time I'm going to do it better. Mark started Influitive and this time he was determined to do it right. Not simply survive each quarter, looking at numbers and neglecting people, employees and board members where it's priority together with the culture everyone fostered. So much so that when he realized one of his board members, an investor, was not the right fit, he bought him out. Something unheard of in SaaS. The start of Influitive was slow as they were introducing a completely new category. But once it took off, it really took off. For a while, Influitive was one of the fastest growing SaaS companies in the world. There was a time their LTV to CAC ratio was 6 to 1. Everything was going stellar until it stopped. Just like that, Influitive hit a ceiling, which as it turns out is a common occurrence for many other MarTech SaaS companies. They are now something like, I don't know, 7,000 marketing software companies. And even though Influitive is, is quite unique, there's really nothing at all like what we do out there, it's still another piece of MarTech. And um, a lot of CMOs had uh, quite legitimately changed their buying behavior to uh, trying out a number of pieces of software, all of whom make very bold claims, as we do, and say, you know, we're going to buy 10 or 12 of these things this year, and, and we're going to keep eight or four or two, uh, whichever uh, are the ones that are highest uh, performing. And, um, so this started to happen uh, right around 8 million ARR. Um, our churn started to go up uh, quite significantly. What followed were many drastic changes. Cost and staff reductions were the first ones, but it took more fundamental strategic changes. Meaning, who are we going to serve and what are we going to serve them with? You know, what we found were the use cases that were the highest ROI for our customers, most measurably that they could feel it, they could see the results and they could see it sooner. Uh, and we focused on those and, and those that were not as good, we told our sales reps, don't sell these anymore. Aside from changes related to customers, there were product related ones too. So we found out things like, you know, the more integrations they had with other 
tools, the more likely they were to get retained. So we started to focus the attention of the company on that. How many integrations do we have to put that in our OKRs? Listen on to hear the rest of the story, how Mark Organ changed Influence's operational system to cut churn and burn by 70% while boosting growth and morale. As Mark told me during the interview, SASTOP is one of his favorite conferences to attend because instead of chest bumps, we bring honesty and intimate conversations between founders. As you'll hear in my interview with him, a lot of changes he implemented came as a result of conversations he had had at SASTOP 17. Also some international clients he recently closed. To see him speak, have some similar valuable conversations in a friendly and fun environment, meet new potential customers, join us in Dublin 15th to the 17th of October. If you're a startup, we've just launched the application for our global pitch competition, looking for the best SaaS startup of 2018. So head over to sasslot.com forward slash global pitch and apply before September the 16th. Welcome to the SaaS Revolution show, uh, Mark Organ, CEO of Influitive. Welcome, Mark. Uh, glad to be here. No, it's great to uh, have, well, great to speak to you, I think, uh, for the second time uh, this year, because we've met up when you came over to, to London on uh, one of your, your recent trips over. Um, I can see, uh, see you're in, uh, in sunny Toronto uh, uh, today. Uh, That's right. Yeah, how's it going in Toronto? Uh, Toronto is great. It's, it's hot here um, and, and hot in all kinds of ways, actually. I mean, temperature wise, but also the, uh, it's really the golden age of technology companies in Toronto. There's a huge amount of funding uh, here, not just venture funding. There's all kinds of crypto. It's a big crypto center okay. uh, and machine learning center in, in Toronto uh, on, a, on a global scale. Um, so, uh, so it's getting hot, you know, competitions going up, uh, competitions going up. Um, but, uh, but it's all, I think it's all good. I think it's really exciting. Apparently Toronto added more tech jobs than San Francisco and New York combined last year. Wow. Wow. That's good. So, and, and there's obviously, there's got to be like with, with all of that, uh, you know, a big reason as to like why like collision conference, like for instance, is coming to, uh, Toronto moving from, uh, from New Orleans, right. Uh, recognizing. Yeah, no, that, that, that's right. Yeah. And, and, and what the, I mean, the technology that's really biggest here is SaaS. I mean, yeah. um, we've had a tradition of um, enterprise software, enterprise SaaS in particular, uh, that, that goes back, I mean, enterprise software that goes back more than 30 years. Um, and, uh, and SaaS going back to the late 1990s, uh, which is, uh, you know, I, I founded um, Eloqua in uh, early 2000. But uh, I, re- I wasn't the first uh, SaaS company in Toronto. There actually were, were quite a few that came uh, before me going back to 1996. So uh, we're really building on kind of our third generation now of SaaS entrepreneurs, many of whom have now uh, become vent- um, investors and angel investors and mentors to younger folks who are coming up. So it's a, it's a, it's a very exciting time um, to, uh, to be here in Toronto. So you gave us a little snippet there that you you were or are you know the founder of uh, Eloqua, um, you know currently CEO of Influitive. But th- this is the opportunity to tell us who is Mark Organ. That's a good question. I, I try to <laughs> I, I try to figure that out too sometimes. Um, uh, well, for one thing, I, I'm a serial entrepreneur. Uh, I have uh, been starting companies really since I was uh, a young boy, according to my parents. Um, you know, selling whatever I had in a house to, to people, uh, started painting houses when I was a, you know, a teenager and ran a business doing that. Um, and so uh, I mentioned Eloqua, which was really my first kind of uh, scale up type of uh, company. Uh, but um, I've, I've always been starting companies. I'm not very comfortable a- as an employee. 
Um, so that's, that's a big part of uh, my identity. Uh, I've also been a research scientist, and I still feel like it's a big part of who I am. So uh, as I was trying to figure out um, whether to, uh, to become um, uh, uh, an entrepreneur or, uh, or, um, or do a PhD <clears throat> way back in um, uh, coming out of undergraduate school, uh, I decided on the PhD, a lot of it was uh, maybe a little bit of prodding from my parents who want to see a doctor beside my name, but it was a very exciting time. That was, um, it, was, uh, it was a PhD in neuroscience that I was working on, and it was a, a very sort of exciting, very entrepreneurial time in, um, in neuroscience, maybe a bit like uh, maybe nanotechnology or, or machine learning today. Uh, but, but that approach of, of being a scientist, of having a hypothesis first approach and trying to discover things about the world is still very much a part of who I am. Uh, and, and in some ways, my job hasn't changed. Like I'm still out trying to figure out, for example, how advocates really work, how their psychology works. What is it that marketers really want to buy? I'm constantly coming up with uh, hypotheses and testing them, which of course have now become in vogue, you know, things like Lean startup or whatnot are, are um, emphasizing this kind of approach, but that's that's the approach I've always taken to building everything because of my background at the lab bench. So, for, you know, second time SaaS founder, Oracle. You know, the uh, sorry, Oracle, uh, Eloqua, uh, Oracle bought Eloqua, right? That, if that's correct. That's right. yeah, yeah, yeah. Eloqua went public in 2012, um, and then Oracle bought it for about a billion dollars, 2013. Okay, uh, and then why did you decide to do it second time with the Influitive? It is a good question. Um, I actually wasn't uh, the CEO when the company went public. Um, so, so it was challenging. I ended up being out, out of my company that I founded. <clears throat> and so for a little while, I did everything but start another SaaS company uh, because, because that was a, a, a somewhat of a painful recent memory. Uh, and I tried a bunch of different other things. Um, uh, I tried getting a job. I had a, a couple of different jobs that didn't work out very well. Um, I uh, was uh, I did some consulting. I joined some boards, did some investing. Uh, I went to Asia, tried tried that out, <laughs> and um, you know, out of all of that, I said, you know, I'm just I'm a founder. It's who, it's who I am. Um, I love building companies. I love building careers. Uh, I love putting my stamp on the world and seeing the world change because of you know, because of the ideas that, that, um, that I have. And, but this time I'm going to do it better. Uh, I'm going to learn from my mistakes from the first company that I built, uh, and I'm going to build it uh, better the second time, which I think I really have. I think this is a stronger company in many ways, Influitive is, uh, than, uh, than, than Eloqua was. And, uh, yeah. What, what, what's, I mean, are you happy to share what, what's like one mistake that you've learned from for the first time that, you know, you won't make again with uh, Influitive? You know, the biggest mistakes that I made were around people. And you'll probably hear that a lot um, from experienced entrepreneurs. And that's because people are hard to figure out. And um, sure, you can read a lot of books on the subject and whatnot, but failure really is the best teacher. Um, and so, I, you know, Eloqua, I was really focused a lot on, well, number one, just surviving another quarter. As Eloqua was bootstrapped for many years before we really raised any um, significant venture funding. Uh, so we were focused on survival. We were focused on generating measurable value for customers. Uh, I wasn't really focused very much on the employee experience and employee value very, very much. Um, that, that's really changed. I learned too late, I think, in my experience at Eloqua that you know, it's, it's the employees that make it happen. Right? If you want to build amazing products, you need incredible employees to do that. If you want to have the best uh, service, the best sales experience for the customer, you need, you need the 
be able to hire and retain the very best people. And, you know, that's, that now occupies more than 50% of my brain now in terms of thinking about how is it that I go about building a big business? I think a lot about how do I attract the very best people here? How do I keep them maximally motivated and energized? Uh, and, and that was just not a way that I really uh, thought about. Um, that also extends to the board of directors. It's something I talked about at a SAS talk um, last year was that, hey, the board is uh, uh, full of people too. <laughs> um, and those are real human beings over there that have real fears and, uh, and emotion and, and all kinds of other uh, things that are going on there. And you have to be just as deliberate about picking the right people on the board and building a great culture around your board of directors, which is something that I really didn't think about at all um, in, in my last company and frankly paid a price for that. Um, you know, at this, this company, I thought a lot about who the right people are on the board. I've not been afraid to change them. So I've made a number of changes uh, in my board of directors, including even buying out one of my VC investors, which is generally unheard of, but that's how important having the right culture is for me. Um, and then, and then building a truly effective team, um, at the board level. And uh, I think our board's been a lot, we've been through a lot at this company, been through a lot of ups and downs at Influitive, but my board has been rock steady the whole way. And I think a lot of that has been because of the culture and a team that we've built there. Let's talk about, uh, I mean, if you're happy to, you know, some of the ups and downs, you know, what, what, what are the ups? I mean, like, give us, like, uh, when was Influitive founded? Uh, like, how long have you been going? What are some of the statistics around that? And, you know, how have some of the, the ups sort of led to, uh, to where you are today? Sure. Well, I mean, at Influitive, what, what, we, what I believe in the start of the company and still is the mission today is that the, the best marketing that you'll ever do as a company is the marketing your customers do for you. And that's absolutely true at SaaS Talk, right? People who attend SaaS Talk, people who uh, are sponsors at SaaS Talk, you know, they all, they all come back and they all advocate for other people to come back. So you, you built something great there. Uh, you don't spend a lot of money on marketing at SaaS Talk. Your customers do a lot of your marketing for you. And that's, that's the hallmark of a great company. Um, and that's what I learned at Eloqua was, was how important it was to get your customers to invest more in your company, not by buying more, but by, by advocating, by generating referrals and references, case studies, videos. So that's, that's, what, that's what we do. That's what we help our customers do is get a lot more of that customer love uh, from, from that um, customer base. And uh, I, I'd say the first, the first year was quite challenging as we had to try to figure out what to build. Um, the first product that we built was not a hit with, with customers. Um, it wasn't until we made the advocate experience really great and focused on that, that we start, started to really take off. Um, and that's been a real um, touchstone for the company ever since. And what makes us so different is that we uniquely focus on an advocate experience. We make it amazing so that these advocates do way more referrals, references, and videos, and case studies, and all kinds of other investment, uh, way more than they, than they uh, did before they started um, participating in the kind of communities that, uh, that we, we power. Um, so we hit a, a, a sort of a, mar a product market fit when we built this highly gamified, really fun experience. And the more consumer we made it, the better it worked. And we started to really take off, uh, especially as we were the only real player who did what we did in B2B. Uh, so we were, we were pretty unique there. Um, and we grew... Uh, from 1 million ARR to 4 million ARR in one year. And then we went from 4 million ARR to $8 million in one year. Um, 
you know, there was a time we were growing at 200% um, plus a year. We had an LTV to CAC of over six to one, which is when we uh, raised our uh, Series B. Uh, and this was truly a rocket ship. There was a time we were really one of the fastest growing SaaS companies in the world. Um, and, uh, and then we hit a bit of a wall or a ceiling, maybe, if you're if the metaphor is a rocket ship. We, we hit a ceiling, uh, which I've subsequently learned has been uh, quite common among marketing software companies because there's been a big change in marketing software between this company and between uh, Eloqua, which I founded back in 2000, uh, where there were just a handful of marketing software companies back then, really maybe a couple dozen at the most. Uh, they are now something like, I don't know, 7,000 marketing software companies. And even though Influitive is, is quite unique, there's really nothing at all like what we do out there, it's still another piece of MarTech. And um, a lot of CMOs had uh, quite legitimately changed their buying behavior to uh, trying out a number of pieces of software, all of whom make very bold claims, as we do, um, and say, you know, we're going to buy 10 or 12 of these things this year, and, and we're going to keep eight or four or two, uh, whichever uh, are the ones that are highest uh, performing. And um, so this started to happen right around 8 million ARR. Uh, our churn started to go up uh, quite significantly. Um, as you know, the earliest adopters were, you know, we had, uh, satisfied them and we were going to more demanding buyers, um, churn started to go up as our churn started to go up. Our CAC also started to go up, uh, because we had to go outside of the, the center of the bullseye, so to speak, in terms of who are very, very, you know, best customers were or companies who really knew me personally and whatnot. So it started to go outside of that circle. Um, and so the business got into some trouble. Uh, so if your LTV is going down precipitously while your CAC is going up at the same time, that is not a recipe for scalable <laughs> success. Um, and we had to make some pretty drastic changes to the business. Um, some of the, those included some significant cost reductions. Um, and we've taken our burn rate from at one point was about $1.2 million a month down to uh, today where we're actually getting uh, close to profitability. We've had a couple of quarters where we've hit cash flow positive, but we're up and down on that. Um, so cut, so we, we uh, went from a high of uh, 1.175 people uh, down to about 100 people. So pretty significant um, level of uh, reductions in terms of uh, people. We've cut other things, some perks that were near and dear to my heart. One of the things that we used to do when we were growing very, very fast is that we, we cleaned everybody's houses. We, we hired a cleaning service where twice a month um, we'd, we'd, uh, we'd provide that as a benefit for our employees. Um, something that's important to me because my relationship with my wife improved dramatically when we had help cleaning our house. Um, and I want all my employees to have a healthy, successful relationship at home. Uh, we had to cut that um, al along with some other perks because uh, we had to uh, run a, a more responsible business. But probably the most important things that we did was in our strategy and our operations um, that allowed us to uh, cut our churn down, to uh, reduce also our CAC, um, and build a much more efficient business. And that, that path is ongoing, but we've made some pretty dramatic improvements. And uh, I believe we keep going as we're going. We're, we're, we're on track to be growing at 50% plus at a profit 
in the next um, 18 to 24 months because of some of the changes that we've, uh, that we've made. Like outside of the, the cost reductions and some of these changes that you made that, that you, you sort of reference, can you, can you, um, you know, maybe highlight or talk about some of these changes, you know, what, what they were and what um, you, I, I guess kind of, you know, the, the, like other impacts that it has had to the business? Yeah, no, and, and the, the cost reductions, is, which, which includes cutting some of our headcount, uh, but also includes cutting out some projects, uh, ha- has been important. So I will talk about some of the changes, but, you know, some wonderful things do happen when you are forced to focus. And, and I'm one of those uh, optimistic entrepreneurs. I think a lot of entrepreneurs are. I'm an optimistic sales-oriented founder. I love to persuade people to my way of thinking. I, I tend to see opportunity everywhere um, more than I see uh, risk and challenges. Um, so, you know, for me, operating with constraints has been really helpful. Uh, when we hire people, we hire the very best people. Um, we pick the most important projects, and there may be some projects that could pay off three times in three, in, in three years, but that's not enough. You know, we need payback in six months. We need to generate a 3x payback in 12 months uh, with a chance for a 10x return in five years. Like that kind of discipline, financial discipline on the projects that we choose, whether those are product features that we're going to develop or those are new markets we're going to develop or those inc- or, or marketing investments. You know, SaaS stock is one of the few um, trade shows that we participate in because uh, we love it. We think it's great. But nice. um, the bar is way higher for us on the events that we choose to do now. It has to pay off in a big way. Mm. Um, so I think that kind of discipline, which you might see more in a big company, you know, the, the IBMs and Procter and Gamble's of the world probably have things like that. I mean, we now have that where, you know, every project we do has to fit a, a financial profile in terms of a return. Um, some of the biggest changes we made were really on a strategic side, meaning who are we going to serve and what are we going to serve them with? Um, so we have the type of product that can actually do a lot of things. So it is a gamified community product, right? Companies invite their best customers into a community. We give them jobs to do. They get points and rewards and, and badges and they interact with each other. It's a VIP community online, right? There's a lot of things that you can do with that. Um, and, and our use cases do vary from, um, generating more social proof, which is a core thing that we do to uh, helping companies onboard their new customers, um, helping companies uh, figure out what should be in a roadmap because customer advocates can help you there too. Um, it could be used for employee advocates, partner advocates, developer advocates, so lots of different use cases. You know, what we found were the use cases that were the highest ROI for our customers, most measurably that they could feel it, they could see the results and they could see it sooner. Uh, and we focused on those and, and those that were not as good, we told our sales reps, don't sell these anymore. Um, um, so that was a big change there. Uh, we focus a lot on the right types of customers. So we've learned like a lot of SaaS companies that the bigger companies um, are much more profitable for us. So they don't, they, 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 uh, they may require just a little bit more work than a smaller company to win. Um, but they produce a lot more MRR, they have more growth possibilities, and they also have lower churn rates. Um, so we increased our prices, we uh, focused our uh, sales reps and our marketing on the right, um, on the right types of customers. Um, a big thing that we did is we did a, a lot of analysis to understand 
uh, other than just the use case and the type of customer, why else would a customer get value and, and be retained? So we found out things like, you know, the more integrations they had with other tools, the more likely they were to get retained. So we started uh, to um, uh, focus the attention of the company on that. How many integrations do we have to put that in our OKRs? Uh, we started to look at there's parts of our software that were really sticky, but were hard to use. So we made those a lot easier to use, and you'd provide a bonus to our customer success folks for getting our customers to try those features out. Um, so there's really no, there's no real rocket science here. A lot of this was uh, basic blocking and tackling, which sounds really uh, easy, but for me, it was not easy at all. <laughs> you know why? Because I'm a visionary founder who likes to sell things. I'm not someone who likes to have a meeting every morning, every single morning at 8.30 for half an hour with my team saying, what's going on here with this account, this account, this account? Why don't these guys have integrations yet? Who's stopping it? And I had to learn a lot of those skills, uh, which I did by, by speaking to a number of great operational leaders, uh, probably one or two that I met at your conference. Um, but, you know, speaking to a number of great operational folks, one of those people was, is on our board, Rick Falk, is a phenomenal operator. Uh, I learned from them their operational systems, how they align their company, how, what they did when people missed targets. Um, I mean, lots of things that you think would be self-evident for an entrepreneur who's been doing this for 18 years. Um, but actually, I had a lot to learn. I had a lot to learn about operations. It's not just about hiring the best people and motivating them. You need to build a system to organize people in the right way. And, and I couldn't delegate that. Um, I couldn't afford to have an expensive CFO, COO anymore. I had to do this myself. Um, so I learned from my peers on how to do that. That's why you got to go to events like SaaS Talk. you got to learn from peers. Um, and I'm really proud of what we built. Like We've got a really great operational system that today the people in the company really love. They really appreciate it. Uh, they feel like we're focused, that we're on target. Um, and uh, without having a lot of bureaucracy, which you know, is frustrating. People join startups because they, they don't like big company bureaucracy. They want to do what they want to do. So we've had to have a minimum amount of overhead that still allows people to get focused and aligned. You mentioned um, OKRs, and obviously we talked about focus, and you mentioned OKRs there, and we could probably spend a whole podcast, or I'm sure we could, about uh, OKRs, right? But you were quite, uh, I guess, during this kind of restructuring um, and, you, you know, in, improving or enhancing the operational system, uh, you've, I, I think, was that the time when you introduced OKRs? Were you, would, would you say a little bit sort of later uh, in the game? Did, did I read yeah. something like that? Yeah, I think we relaunched OKRs. In fact, we relaunched OKRs at least three times uh, in our company's history. And before we had OKRs, we tried the V2Mom system, which is something that Salesforce.com had, had uh, pioneered. Um, so we, we had OKRs in here. They just weren't working for us. Uh, people didn't enjoy uh, doing them. Um, they didn't really roll up very well to my level. Uh, People, including myself, were confused about this idea that Google had popularized that hitting 67% of your OKRs is a win. And um, I understood the theory of that, but there are numbers you have to hit. that You can't hit 67% of your revenue number or your leads number or the, you know, your product release. Like There's some things you just got to hit. And so there are some aspects of, I don't know, call it orthodox OKR theory um, that just didn't make a lot of sense for us. And um, 
And so the OKR system wasn't really working very well. And um, I, I, as it so happened, I met a woman uh, who knows a lot about OKR. Her name is Deidre Packnad, runs a company called Workboard. And um, uh, she, uh, she taught me a lot about how to do OKRs properly in the way that, from her experience, worked really well. Um, and uh, so we re-implemented OKRs. We uh, gave detailed instructions to every single team in the company on how to, how to do it, uh, how to set objectives properly, what a good uh, key result is. Um, and we got a lot of clarity about the 67% thing. So the, the way that we resolved that was that every person in every department and, and the company have at least one, if one or two, must have, must hit results. You have to hit 100%. You can't hit 99. You got to hit 100. Um, and those are your core objectives you have to hit. And then you have supporting objectives that are um, really nice to hit. But even that, we didn't set the threshold to 67%. We set it at 85, a lot higher. So a good example would be in a marketing department, um, SQOs or sales qualified opportunities is a must hit number. Okay, we have to hit 283 of those in the quarter and not 282. But then there's other things that are nice to have, like PR mentions. Let's see if we can go for 20 a month. That, that would be awesome if we hit 20 a month. If we really squint and if all the stars align, we can hit 20. So let's set that as an objective, right? And, um, and the great thing about OKRs, what I love about it, is every now and again, you actually blow that out of the water. So we did that with respect to our uh, service revenue. So one of, the, one of the ways that we're becoming profitable is we're selling more services, a lot more. Uh, we're getting a lot more comfortable selling services. We're quite good at it. Uh, and we deliver really good services. So we've had to build some new muscle around the company around that. And so we set some pretty aggressive targets together with our head of services um, that really felt extremely difficult to hit. But if certain assumptions were true, we'd be able to hit that. Well, we actually blew that out of the water. Um, and we sold way more services than we ever thought were, were possible. And a lot of that was because of the OKR process, which does encourage stretch goal thinking as opposed to what I call sandbagging thinking, right? A lot of companies have this sort of, I call a sandbag system where a manager believes that they might be able to, let's say, sell 10 units uh, if they work really hard, but they will fight hard to set the target at eight. So they know they have enough buffer to hit 10. The manager also thinks 10 may be possible, but set, wants the target at 12 so that she gets a buffer. And so they both end up agreeing on 10 and everyone kind of walks away happy. But that is actually not a way to build a great company. That is a, that is a company culture that is full of um, that's, that's a company that doesn't have high integrity. You've got two people that who are now lying. Okay. The, the contributor thinks they could do 10, but they say they could do eight and make all these reasons for why eight is a great target. The manager makes up all kinds of reasons for why 12 is the right target. And they end up agreeing in the middle. Um, but that's not a great culture. And that's not a culture that is striving together to achieve great targets. So what I love about OKRs is it encourages this, uh, conversation uh, to, between um, managers and their people 
to stretch together in order to achieve truly great things, which, which does happen now and again, like it's happened in our services business, you know, which is accelerating our path to profitability faster than we thought was possible. And it's really because of our, our goal setting process. But at the same time, the way that we've done it with these core, core objectives and these supporting objectives, we still hit the numbers that we absolutely have to hit. And there's consequences if we, if we, um, uh, if we don't do that. I think from this uh, or, or that particular question, it's obvious to me uh, that maybe we need a, a session on this uh, at Sastock because uh, I don't I don't think there's enough about culture or OKRs or certainly nothing about OKRs right now in the agenda. So we'll we'll have to have a look at that. Um, we're we're coming to uh, well, actually, we're probably over time, and I might be kicked out of the uh, the meeting room by my own colleagues uh, uh, soon. But so I'm holding them off uh, right now. So quickly, like final two questions, Mark. You're you're coming back to SASDOC and SAS Society uh, this year in Dublin, uh, October fifteenth to the, well, fifteenth to the eighteenth for for you. Um, what is it about? Uh, you know, why are you coming back to SASDOC? I know you keep, you've given us some uh, great compliments throughout the uh, the, the, the show, and, and thank you for that. And, and SAS Society, what is it that you like? Why are you coming back to Dublin? Yeah, a couple of reasons. Number one is we're becoming a global company really quickly. Uh, we just won our first customer in Japan earlier on this week. Um, and uh, so for us, SASTOC has really been part of our global beachhead. Uh, we've met all kinds of great prospects, a number of which have closed. Uh, people that I've met at the event at either SASTOC or SAS Society. Our first customer in Brazil actually came from a, a meeting that happened at SASTOC um, and, uh, and, and others. So uh, we do aspire to be a great global company. And uh, at SASTOC, it's a great way to meet um, the people who uh, are early adopters for our type of technology. So that's been great. The other thing I really love with SASDOC, and I, I participate in SAS conferences all over the world, uh, from SASTER to SAS North in Canada um, to Echelon in Singapore. So I'm, I love these conferences, and I just I love the vibe at, at SASDOC. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot less kind of macho chest beating that you might see at other places, and you have a lot more of people talking about their mistakes and their failures with humility um, and, uh, and, you know, really giving back to the next generation of SaaS entrepreneurs to help them build a, a better company. It's not about, you know, I've raised a hundred million I've gone and hired 500 sales reps and I've used that to conquer the world. And if you're not, you know, intercom or Slack, then, then you, then you're suck. Um, you know, cause most companies are frankly a lot more like us. We're grinding every day every day for every dollar, for every euro. Um, we are working hard in the trenches, trying to get more profitable, trying to get the LTV to CAC ratio up. Uh, it's not about how fast we can go and hire people. Um, one day we will get there. Um, but, uh, you know, at SAS Talk, you find more entrepreneurs like me out there that um, are, are open, honest, and direct. And so I really do uh, love that aspect of, uh, of SAS Talk. Well, uh, and, you, you know, I, I'm looking forward to welcoming you back to Dublin. And uh, and again, I think, like, it's shown throughout the conversation on, on this podcast that we're going to get nothing but, you know, open and uh, kind of honest, uh, real, uh, raw, um, you know, conversation, uh, you know, from you, lessons from you, uh, and a bit of entertainment too, I, I, I'm sure. Uh, and the fi final question is, like, we always ask, you know, how do you stay healthy and sane? Um, you know, what's your way? Oh, that's a great question, you know, and um, uh, I've ha I have gotten a lot healthier than I was at SASDOC last year. Um, I'm about 35 pounds lighter. 
Um, and so uh, I figured a couple of things. So for one thing, um, I'm on now hour 32 of a 48 hour fast. So I fast every week now for 48 hours. You may have seen that this has become a real fad in Silicon Valley. I don't mm -hmm. know if this is happening in Europe as well. It is. Okay. Yeah. It's harder in Europe. The food's better. Yeah. Um, the, the food in North America is not very good. Uh, so, so it might be harder for you with all the high quality uh, food in Europe, but um, it's becoming a big deal, not just for weight loss, but for overall health um, and, and really getting into lifting weights as well. The way that I've managed to do this, because I've had problems with weight my whole life, but overweight my whole life. Um, and I've really started to figure out how to do this. And, and a big way that I've done it is by reducing cognitive load. And I think cognitive load is an underappreciated concept in the world, uh, in the world of software that we're in, in SaaS, uh, where cognitive load, I think, contributes to high churn and, and high CAC and other problems. Um, but I think high cognitive load contributes to problems in our personal lives. So there's a reason why Steve Jobs used to wear a black turtleneck every day. Reduces his cognitive load. He doesn't have to think about what to wear. It's going to be a black turtleneck and blue jeans. Um, and so for me, I do the same thing now every day, every, every day of the week. Saturday is always leg day. Sunday is always core day. Monday is always upper body day. Uh, I fast from Monday night to Wednesday night every single week, no matter what. Uh, I don't have to think. It's just what I do. Um, and so uh, that's worked for me. Is, uh, and that's even me. I'm not a very routine type of person, um, but I've, I've highly routinized my life, and it's been a really great thing for me to staying uh, healthy and uh, mostly sane. <laughs> well, great, great stuff. We'll, we'll be the judge whether you're, 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 you're sane at, uh, <laughs> at, at SASDOC, but I, I'm sure you are. Um, but Mark, let's, uh, let's wrap it up there. You know, thanks for being such a great guest on, uh, uh, on the SAS Revolution show today. Pleasure to speak to you as always. You know, really appreciate the, the honest insights uh, and can't wait to, uh, to see you in Dublin for SASDOC 18. I can't wait. See you soon. Right. Thank you. Bye-bye. I hope you enjoyed this truly epic episode of the SaaS Revolution Show and picked up valuable lessons from Mark Organ on the changes to implement when the going gets tough that will improve churn and burn rate. Please let us know what you think about it by leaving your ratings and reviews. Thanks for listening and see you next time.